2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 26 of Shake Them Ropes. Rob McCarran here. In a moment, we are going to be joined by two special guests. We have today Chris Mukigana Harrington talking all the breaking news out of WWE's Q2 financial call. Uh, The news is just breaking right now. We got results from WWE. Network subscriptions, the business side of WWE. So Chris is going to help us go through all that you could know about the business of WWE's financials. Later on, we're going to be joined by Ben Gordon of tna 2014, formerly the host of the program with Matt and Ben on Blog Talk Radio. So we're going to talk about uh, some of the lesser-known wrestling promotions that are out there and then his attempt to buy TNA two years in a row. So we're going to talk to him uh, we'll be joined by our co host Jeff Hawkins for the interview with Ben Gordon. Um, but first, we have Chris Harrington coming up talking WWE's financials from today. We'll be right back on Shake Them Ropes, which you can listen to at shakethemropes.com or find us on iTunes and Stitcher and any of your podcasting platforms. All the information is up at Shake Them Ropes. You can also follow us at Shake Them Ropes on Twitter. And you can find out when we're going to be recording, when we have guests, if you'd like to submit questions or comments, you can also do that on Twitter. We're going to be right back with Chris Harrington here on Shake Them Ropes in just one moment. All right, everybody, Rob McCarran here on Shake Them Ropes. We are joined now by Chris Mukigana Harrington. You can catch him on Twitter, at Uh WrestleNomics, uh, Chris, we certainly had a, a big WrestleNomics day today with the release of WWE quarter two results of 2014. A lot of stuff uh, going on. We'll get to uh, what was said about the overall business as well as the big information that I'm sure a lot of people want to know about is the WWE Network and the numbers that were released for that uh chris how are you today and uh how was the call for you
3: i'm doing all right i had a little rum last night and i think maybe the crack and got me a little bit more than i got it so uh had a little bit of a headache coming into this morning but uh otherwise doing a-okay and and obviously the call is it's interesting for me i think it's so funny to the level of interest that is with this now whereas I've been covering WWE for a couple years here and listening to the calls and things like that. And I remember like back Halloween last year, you know, very few, very little interest, no one talking about it. I would do my own little podcast back in the day and my friends would send me emails about how it was the worst thing they ever listened to because it was just me droning on as I read financial results. So it, it seems so odd to live in a world where WWE quarterly releases are a sexy topic that gets people excited. And, you know, I get, Dozens of followers and, and, you know, madly tweeting the whole time. So it's kind of exhausting, but it's kind of fun because it it creates a real-time record of what's happening. And uh, oftentimes it's easier to synthesize the information knowing someone is going to read what you're writing. And then you start to try to pick out, you know, what's relevant. And it's always the case that what wrestling fans are interested in and what financial analysts are interested in Mm -hmm. oftentimes could not be further apart.
2: Oh, sure. Uh, you can judge by some of the questions that are asked. Although with this WWE network, I think the interest is more aligning now. And that's why we're seeing so many uh, people following these results. Cause the questions that are being asked by analysts are the same questions that everyone else wants to know. Really?
3: Um, you... Nine times out of 10, I agree. There's always like the guy uh-huh. and sometimes the guy is, you know, a goofball. Like there's one guy who's obsessed with DVD sales. And yes. so every call, he tries to hijack it to talk about the DVD distribution model. And I think what it is is that's his area of expertise. You know, he works big box stores, that sort of approach. Mm. And it, it makes sense, but it's just always like it's such a strange element of the P&L to focus on. It would be like if, if you were in magazine publishing and you just wanted to talk about who you're putting on the cover every month and you're using this call for that, whereas, you know, there's, the WWE Network is so many hundreds of millions of dollars of variants that can drive to their bottom line here. And so it just seems so strange that sometimes little things get written off and big things get a ton of attention. So, it, it, But more and more, like you said, people are, are really honing in on the fact that they need to be accurate about this one number. And I think it's something that they understand a lot better. And perhaps they understood in the past where pay-per-views, they didn't really understand why there was an ebb and flow to the pay-per-views and what a marquee attraction was or wasn't. Now it's a little easier for them to get the idea of it's a service. You buy the service. You don't buy Netflix just for one thing. You buy it for lots of things. The network is like that in their minds. Whether or not that's true or not, you know, we can debate that. But that that's certainly there. And, and there's certainly people on the call who get it a lot. Like Bradley Zaffolo. Um I think he's been wildly optimistic in every one of the releases he's done and so i've i've gone back and forth with him on things and it's been a little goofy but he at least gets it and he asks some really good questions and we of laura martin who sent out some ridiculous numbers earlier this year but at least she's following up every quarter here and at least paying attention and so as silly as her numbers were at least that she's like starting to get it yeah and then you have you know one or two people that are they they basically are trying to squeeze information out of them that they're just not going to get um vince and barrios especially you know, probably the answers to more than half the questions are we're not going to talk about that or we don't release that information or we're not going to get specific on that.
2: Martin was really, uh, she asked the first question and she was really excited about the numbers that were released. I think she said great numbers about three times during her question. Oh,
3: she says, and, and if you go back and read the transcripts, you can check them out on Tiki Nelpa. She says that every time, no yeah. matter what is happening, she calls in and part of it is she seems like she was kind of buddy-buddy with them to get her paper out that basically had that Forbes really highlighted that says it's approximately $25 or $30. They're going to get two and a half or three million subs within two years. They're going to be giving millions and millions of dollars. And basically every area of the company was just going to explode. And I wrote this real piece-by-piece takedown of it where I was just like, why are live events going to explode? Explain this to me. The trend has been going down for four years, and yet it's magically going to grow by 10% this year. Can you explain? And she never, and she just sent me an email back that just said, well, follow up with me in a year and we'll see who's right. Mm So she's in her own little world on that. But at least, like I say, she's calling in and still paying attention. It's more annoying to me when, you know, you read those media stories with someone who spends two minutes talking about the network. And then they never write a follow-up when none of the predictions and, and the promises happen.
2: Do you you see the interest in uh, casual observers uh, in these network calls or these results calls going forward too much longer? Because this is the second one we've had now uh, post-WWE Network with them releasing a network number. And and I felt the interest. I felt it much more the last time. Do you see casual observers sticking around with this or or have they seen what they need to see?
3: Well, you know, the big announcement today, the one that I thought was kind of this first shattering announcement that, in my mind, has really been undersold is basically the network is going international in two weeks. Yes. I mean, this reminds me of back in January when they said, we're going to launch this thing, and then suddenly they had like a go date, you know, three or four weeks away from that. It's the same sort of thing where it's like, wow, that's incredible that there's that much momentum on this front. Um, specifically, August. You know, we'd always been led to believe it was going to be Q4 mm-hmm. at the earliest, and and so that's really early. And it's most of the countries that they had been targeting, including Australia's and and one out of the world. And we get into the exact pieces when we're breaking it all down. But that to me is the big news because that's like that's what people have been tuning in to find out is when is the network going to be available in my market? And so. It, Disproportionate number of, of responses I find are about the Canadians being really excited about the announcement, mm-hmm. uh, the French being really excited about the announcement. Um, obviously, Spanish being a, a limitation here means that you don't re- I don't really hear from a lot of Mexico fans, but I'm sure there's some excitement there, and uh, the UK fans being left out. So I think October and no clue on what's happening with Germany and a couple other places. But it, it was interesting, and so I think that's a lot of it. Um, and then, obviously, WrestleMania is always interesting to people. This year, since we had such a good view of what WrestleMania was, it's, it's kind of a dead question, as much as in some years past, I think there's been a lot of interest about, like, how did WrestleMania do? Does this prove so-and-so is a draw or not a draw? And we're moving so far away from that, it, it gets harder for there to be those kind of cyclical excitements that there were in the past. So I do think by next year this time, it will be a lot less exciting. I think right now there's still a lot of people who want to play the game of how is the network is going to do in the first 12 months yeah. because next quarter we have the really exciting part of, okay, we're right on the cusp of where that six-month number would have been. you know For everybody who signed up at the very beginning of February, mm-hmm. they would have hit their renewal period, so everyone wants to know what's happening in September, plus all these August people coming online to the network. There's going to be a lot of excitement about that. And while they're releasing quarterly numbers, they still refuse to release monthly numbers for the network. So we don't have a really good view until that date. So I do think there's going to be a lot of excitement for the next call and maybe for the year-end call. But that's always hard to say.
2: I, I suppose you're definitely right because there's a lot of action going on in this quarter with International and Canada and – and. uh the subscriber numbers with the six month renewals here in the United States. I can see it going out through a uh, WrestleMania uh, period of next year too. Let's see how many people go on WrestleMania. There's still questions about, you know, how the pay-per-views will be handled. Although indirectly, some of those were probably answered today. Um, we'll get into the uh, non-network stuff. Just kind of go over that uh, briefly in the quarter two results and then get into the yeah. big stuff, which is the network. Um, yeah.
3: So, So, if you think about what they make their money on, Mm -hmm. about 28% of this quarter in terms of money, 43.8 million dollars with TV. So, TV is essentially the largest single stream. If you divide up networks from pay-per-view and network into two streams, so TV at 28%. That's really big, and there was a lot of developments in TV. Do you want me to go through them?
4: Sure. Yeah.
3: Sure. So, and the first one, which was something that was completely undersold, wasn't mentioned once. Um, Very few analysts seem to have called out is that main event on ION is gone. It's the last episode of main event they're doing the very first week of Q2. So it's like that April 7th episode or something like that. So they had one episode this quarter and then nothing. And so that is a significant loss of both probably millions in terms of how much WWE is not making. However, total divas right now, they're getting that revenue stream, and they didn't get that last year because that didn't start until Q3. So, essentially, the total divas revenue, in addition to the raw smackdown contracts, which continue to basically build every quarter to get a little bit more money based on the agreements that they had, all surpassed where they were the year before. So, it looked like a growth in TV. But, again, this is one of these times where it might be really hard to – well, I guess in a year from now, they'll be getting the brand-new domestic rights fee, which will also be up. So, I guess they will continue growing. But I I still think that there's been a buried lead about the fact that wrestling programming has suffered in the last, you know, two years here where they can't keep a main event, a Saturday morning slam or WWE superstars on a peripheral channel because there's not interest in wrestling driven programming. Total Divas is a completely different demographic, completely different aim, And it might suggest maybe that's the direction they're going to have to go to get their programming on in the future. But I thought that was really interesting. Um, just as a reminder, like I said, Raw and SmackDown contracts aren't going to increase until Q4 for the big domestic renewal. So there's not a huge jump going on there. WWE is not going to give a new ag- aggregate guidance on their TV deals. This is something that had been kind of vexing to me, which was they released their estimate of how much they thought you know the, the hodgepodge of deals they decided to bundle together, the Thailand deal, the UK deal, the US deal, and the India deal. And then they said, it's worth this much more in aggregate, yada, yada, yada. But then they later admitted they're not done with the India deal. So, you know, obviously, Saffalo, being a smart guy and PAA research, please act accordingly, he asked, what's going on with the India deal? And they said, oh, we're still negotiating it. So he said, well, are you going to announce it? They said, oh, we'll announce it. And he says, well, you say how much it's for? And he goes, nope. Yep. We will not give individual guidance on specific deals. We never do that. And it actually, if you read their website, and I somehow missed these two myself, but they actually announced Three other deals, you know, in this past week here, they announced a deal for Middle East, North Africa with OFN. They announced a deal for France with Group A, AB, um, which is a three year deal, which is going to go, um, which is like a 15 year history they've had with that company in France. And uh, it specifically says it will include WWE specials such as WrestleMania, Royal Rumble and SummerSlam. So I'm wondering if, you know, that's just the weird European terminology for what they call a pay-per-view, mm-hmm. because sometimes it's, bundled in, or if that's going to be the new terminology, you know, all this talk about what do you call a pay-per-view when it's not on pay-per-view? So is it a special, or what's it going to be? So that was interesting. But And then they had their 10-year deal, you know, with, with uh, Canada, with Rogers, And, uh, you know, a 10-year deal, I can't think of many times WWE has really embarked on a 10-year deal with someone. So that was, that was a little surprising to me, because uh, usually five years is about the most they seem to be doing, even if they renew, like they did with USA a whole bunch of times. Um, nothing announced for new programming, there's no Legend House 2 or WWE show, wrestling based or anything like that. Not that surprising when you're in a cost cutting measure. And then um, just in aggregate, you know, I think it's really important to kind of call out how much TV is driving this business. So about three years ago, if you were to go back and say, what is the annual value of your TV deal? It's about 125 to 134. Last year that deal was worth like 152 annually. This year it's already up to 171 million and it's gonna grow from there. So I mean we're talking forty million in like less than twenty-four months in terms of improvement. So it's just enormous how big uh television is as a driving factor for this company. So you know, all this talk about TNA, are they gonna survive after Spike doesn't renew them, et cetera, et cetera. You know, WWE is also a TV company. They've diverse diversified their streams but you can just get a feel there of how much TV is driving WWE's revenue forward and then what a death blow it is to TNA not to have you know that one factor that was really paying the bills and they made somebody asked them during the call about who is your biggest TV countries outside of the United States and they basically handed on to well it's really hard to measure we don't get accurate ratings information yada yada but they did list a few countries and specifically they listed Canada UK India South Africa and Mexico and I think India is the one that, you know, we as an American consumer can often overlook. Is I, I talked to someone who was really involved um, with uh, uh, television. And one point they really made to me is that India is this really unique place right now where it's just got these incredibly competitive television markets. And so the right fees for those markets can be really, really competitive. And so it might not be the sort of place that you want to go run as a live event stream, but in terms of television, there's a lot of money to be made, and I think they've already admitted it's like their third largest TV contract, I think, in aggregate behind the U.K. right now. So it says a lot about, you know, we, we don't necessarily have a good grasp on what exactly is going on with these ideals, but it is an important part of WWE's model. So that, those were my takeaways from television. Was there anything else that you kind of picked up on the call?
2: As far as the television, uh, the Rogers deal obviously is a pretty big deal because it strays so much in Canada from what the rest of the world is getting, including here in the United States. Uh, I I thought Vince McMahon's comments uh, kind of under his breath as George Berrios was speaking. Uh, he said, they gave us an offer we couldn't refuse to the Rogers Network deal for the WWE Network, which will be getting WWE Network as a linear channel, kind of what everyone assumed they were trying to get here in the U.S., Um during the initial announcement of the network, he said that they had turned down offers from the U.S. to make this an over the top because that's where the future was. Well, that was kind of hypocritical at this point now, with Vince saying, okay, we had to take this deal on TV there because it was better than what we're ever going to do on Over the Top. I, did you see it somewhat that way, or did you see a difference, uh, you know, anything well, to the Vince comments?
3: You know, you bring up a lot of points. So the first one being a lot of people pretend that the WWE Network was always envisioned as an open-top network, and it was not. It was envisioned as a paid television or a regular television channel, you know, depending on which which clearance model you want to use, either the, you know, cents per subscriber or a premium channel sign up and you'll get it kind of like HBO. Um, that didn't work. They couldn't get enough people signed up. That's why we had that initial coming in, what was it 2012, and it never came in 2012 mm-hmm. um, and all that. And then after that, they kind of transitioned to this model. And then there was this huge debate kind of in terms of the narrative coming out of WWE and the narrative coming out of the media companies. And so Vince famously said, I turned down the television channel. They gave me a contract. It was in hand, and I ripped it up. (laughs) And, And people were a little dubious of this. But my guess is, essentially, it was a contract that says we're going to give you either X percent Of this channel or this many cents per subscriber and apparently this Canadian deal was a lot better now the other part of this which is really important to emphasize is all these partners WWE is signing TV deals with right now are really really pissed if they have the pay-per-view rights and WWE is going to do something that's going to completely undercut their pay-per-view rights model so essentially it was a way for them to negotiate this Canadian deal and not only get a, a renewal on the law SmackDown, which was a really important part to them, but then additionally kind of ease the, the tension over mm-hmm. what was going to happen with pay-per-view rights by basically launching it as a way to say, we're going to do a revenue share with you on pay-per-view rights. And I'm surprised they went there. To me, this is a sign of, you know, kind of reacting to the numbers and saying, we need to sign Beatles and get everything on the books now so uh-huh. that we don't have a, a lousy, you know, a lousy setting. I think they also... You know, Vince McMahon's attitude towards all of this stuff, I think, changed a lot when NBCU did not give them the big renewal that they expected. So it's also possible that we're living in kind of a post-NBCU world where, yep, they're willing to take some deals that six months ago they would not have.
2: I think definitely the years on the contract is a huge sign of that, just like you mentioned, going from their usual five to ten. I mean, that's a long-term deal. Uh, Roger's playing it up. You know, if this network does get successful and people start subscribing to this channel, They've locked into whatever deal they've locked into with WWE kind of on their knees a little bit. So it, it could potentially be a good deal for Rogers and a good deal for everyone involved.
3: It's a good deal now. I think, you know, it's one of those in six years time, right, how do you right. feel about it? Because, you know, WWE could be gnashing their teeth that they signed a deal for so little mm-hmm. money. Um, but I think in the end, it's the sort of deal they'll make with Canada. I don't think it's the sort of deal that they would be willing to make with a country with an enormous population. And it's not the sort of deal they would ever make in the United States. You know, you're dealing with a country that has a little bit more of a less choices in cable providers and then additionally has um, – they've been making some aggressive bids. So you know, just like the way they were able to run up their price in the UK by putting two people against each other, I'm guessing that with the new NHL deal that uh, Rogers also signed, this is kind of part of a strategy on Rogers' part to kind of put the other company—I don't know if it's Bell or who it is—but um, kind of pushing them to the side.
2: Yeah, so this deal with Rogers, 10 years—they're uh, going to make the the channel a linear channel, kind of like HBO. Uh, right now, at least, the video on demand is also going to be through the cable provider. So it's not going to be the same on-demand library as what you would see on network.wwe.com here in the States. Um, and the pay-per-view will remain traditional. So they got that deal, too. So for those who don't want to sign up every month for this network, you can still get the pay-per-views individually. Is is this a good deal? If you're a Canadian fan with Rogers, is it a good deal for you? And what about if you're a Canadian fan without Rogers?
3: well you know I'm, I'm I'm actually strongly expecting that u k is going to go into a model that's very similar to this. I don't think u k is going to go an over the top model. Um, I think they're going to go with a model that basically pairs them with a premium provider so this is not the last we hear of this. Um, they did mention this idea of an authenticated app, so similar to hBO go being that you can use your tablet to access the content, but you have to be able to sign in through your cable subscriber mm-hmm. um, so I think that's a good deal for Rogers subscriptions. I think you're really going to run into that big debate about who's a cord cutter, do they exist, how important are they, are they willing to adapt, yada, yada, yada. Um, I think all in all, in aggregate, it's good for them because essentially if you're able to watch watch Raw and SmackDown now, you can still watch Raw and SmackDown. If you're able to buy pay-per-views now, you can still buy pay-per-views in the future. It's not going to necessarily bring in people that aren't subscribers, but again, this is in Canada, and so the percentage of lapsed fans that they're able to get there is just not an enormous thing, and so I think they're much better off, you know, putting all those customer service issues, all those non-payment issues, pushing that all to the, subs- to the um, provider and not having to deal with them themselves. Because as we will discuss when we get to the network part, the issue of people deauthorizing or not paying for the the, um, network is is grown much larger than I think even they originally anticipated it would be an issue for. So I think it's great in that sense. So it's, you know, kind of status quo for Canadian Canadians. And I Mm -hmm. think it's great that it's starting in two weeks. I'm just absolutely flabbergasted that, you know, they're able to get this much of a launch going this quickly and keep it this quiet.
2: It's, it's a pretty big deal. Two weeks out. what do you think make of uh, Vince McMahon's comments I I think everyone's known his attitudes towards certain places but basically coming out on a conference call of this nature and saying that Canadians do things differently they're just weird basically is what he was saying.
3: <laughs> well, you know, I think I think it's in on written form it sounds much harsher than it was said in person. You right. know, I think it was meant to be a cop-out where they said, why did you pursue this model when you specifically told us it was a dumb model? Mm-hmm. And then he, he basically coped out by saying, well, Canada's different, so why not? And you know, if you look at some of the um, American companies that have expanded, I'm, I'm here in Minnesota, so Target is always a big deal for us here, being based here, and they're just having the worst time in the world trying to get their Canadian operations working there. and it just says something that sometimes the American version of distribution does not go so well in Canada. Now this is telecom versus, you know, real good. So it's hardly analogous in that sense, but just in terms of the planning and the execution, I'm not surprised that they're pursuing something different with Canada because a lot of times I think it's just so much easier for them to put that risk on someone else's shoulders. And uh, that makes sense. And, And I think, you know, I think it was tongue-in-cheek. I think it can comes across in writing so much worse, but it is a really fun soundbite for the the annals of the Bizarro Land Files that someone is probably building about Vince McMahon in Canada.
2: That was my big Vince McMahon soundbite from this, uh, a much less vulgar soundbite from the last call that Vince McMahon oh, was yeah, a part I,
3: of. That would, I, a lot of people forgetting about that one, The uh, the the guidance call following ABCU where suddenly they were in Europe, some of them weren't, and mm-hmm. then they lost everybody, and it's just Vince McMahon suddenly just going, George, George, ah, and then he swore, and that was great. Yeah. Um, so talking about live events, that's yes. about the only other area I want to talk about before we got into the network. Mm-hmm. Live mm-hmm. events, about $40.3 million. That means it's 25.8% of this, um, the revenue of this quarter. So I mean, it's a still an enormous chunk, you know, one quarter of the revenue. Um, and these are some numbers out there. And, you know, it's always one of these cases where you can read two different stories out of it. So number one was most American attendance was up here over a year to 6,000. That's a 13% improvement, while international attendance continues to drop to 6,100. They use this, you know, it's best in four years type number. Which is another way of saying it's been declining for four years, you know, and so I think part of it is is that um, it's not that it's really the best in four years. It's the least worst as it's been in four years, in my opinion, and I think attendance has really stagnated in the last few years here, and that's a really disturbing trend for WWE, and that was one of the reasons why I didn't believe Laura Martin's projections about a lot of things is the idea that somehow interest was swelling, and yet, you know, the fans are dressed as chairs, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it was just one of those cases where I think it's good that attendance is up. Um, uh, we don't have any details yet on the VIP packages, which was one of the things that kind of introduced uh, the beginning of this year. We'll find that out when we get the 10-Q statement, which is usually published um, either tomorrow or Monday, maybe even Saturday. It's an SEC w- document. It's a little bit more financially based. And so usually we'll break out kind of the subdivision of, like, what did the VIP packages worth? I don't think it was going to be worth a lot, but I'm just kind of curious to see what that was worth in the mix. Uh, venue merchandise dropped about six percent year over year. There was less North American events, so it could be somewhat driven by that. Um, but again, to me, that's you know one of those barometers you can use to see you know how excited are people to be there. Um, live events was up in the last twelve months to about 112 million dollars, which is a four-year high, and previously it had been between 104 and 108 million. Um, I do think these international numbers are a little disturbing because I would have thought, you know, that they would be able to juice the international a little bit more. But I think it says a little bit about the lack of star power and their ability to really... uh, you know, monetize that marketplace right now. And so there is a big need for, for WWE to really do a better job. And I don't know whether that means they're going to do more paid tours where they basically sell the shows like they do in the Middle East or whether that means they're going to just tour different marketplaces or what. But uh, I'm really curious. But Obita did drop year over year for live events from about $30.7 million to $28.5 million. So they're not making more money on it as a profit, even though revenue has gone up by, gosh, what is that, $8 million, something like that? So, again, you know, still feeling that kind of constriction going on where revenue can get really big, and that's something you're going to see a lot with the network here. You're going to see enormous revenue numbers, but profitability more and more is something that people should focus on because the year-over-year likeness has changed a lot, in my opinion.
4: The
2: one thing before we get into the full network, and this is certainly going to uh, kind of play into it, is WWE announced that they have plans to reduce staff. Also,
0: um,
3: yeah, it's, so, it's, a, it's a huge cost cutting, you know, mm-hmm. adventure. We've heard numbers thrown out there: twenty million, thirty million, and they specifically tried to kind of push up this idea that you know EBITDA was going to improve by ten million this year and thirty million next year, and they got that they're getting this out of the cost cutting. They've been talking for call after call after call about how they're going to do a company-wide assessment of all the areas and um, I I'm happy to hear about their cost-cutting measure including the staffing cut a little bit not because I, I really think it's great for are cutting staff um, but because one thing I wrote when I you know people asked me how could WWE improve its business I said remove inefficiencies now that's kind of corporate jargon for nothing but my, my basic premise was you ramped up really quick Whenever you do that, you're gonna overpay and you're not you're gonna have some things you're doing that are probably not being done very efficient. And, you know, they paid someone to be a TV rights negotiator. And in my opinion, I don't think you worked out all that great. They did lots of things like that where probably in the rush to get the WWE network online, they were pushing really hard. Now what really disappoints me about that is that means that they're not talking about filling the position such as the head of the WWE network. And I think that's a big mistake. But you know, it is what it is right now. And so they're promising, you know, all these future things and gets the analysts all excited. So maybe that's the right thing to do. The stock was up 50 cents today. Um, 7% reduction is going to include, I think talent was mentioned in one of the lines there, not that it's 7% across, but you know, we saw Ricardo Rodriguez released yesterday NXT talent, uh, according to someone on Twitter, they mentioned to me that they're expecting to have some cuts in NXT and uh You know, whether or not you see a Brock Lesnar in 2015 or 2016, it's questionable, you know, whether that's the direction they're going to go. I don't know if there's a timetable on this cost-cutting right now. And that was, you know, one of the questions that I said that people should really ask is, how long are you planning on on holding this out for? Or at what point are you going to say, okay, we're done, we're happy? And so they mentioned they're going to spend about $4.5 million just on severance packages and kind of the costs associated with cutting staff. Um, next quarter so we'll see a little bit of a hit because of that but uh, who knows what you know reducing inefficiencies are and they they specifically said they were trying to be a little vague because in some cases this might even involve partnerships mm-hmm. or deals that the company has has made and that that might get cut so you know whether that is you know who's if they have two places digitizing video, now it's just going to be one. Or if, it's, if they have five marketing firms that handle international communications, now it's going to be three. Who knows exactly what that means? But my guess is that's kind of what they're referring to is, is maybe times when they've outsourced certain elements of, of their operations here, and they might have to streamline that a little bit.
2: Any, before we dive into this network, anything else that really of note that we want to get into uh, before we just jump right into everything WWE Network?
3: Yeah, my only other notes were WWE Studios did not turn a profit this quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, but they once again said this whole, you know, since 2012, our our assets are going to receive an internal rate of return of 15%, you know, kind of the gobble book that basically means they're putting a little money in and they're getting a little money out. And when I say they didn't turn a profit this quarter, I think it was like minus $200,000. So it was not an enormous failure to anything by that means. But um, it wasn't a huge, you know, unfortunately, uh, Scooby-Doo goes to WrestleMania was not the blockbuster that turned the company around. So hopefully, you know, Space Ghost goes to SummerSlam goes a little bit better, or something <laughs> of that nature. Um, video game numbers, you know, I think this is one of these where they keep throwing the carrot out another quarter and saying, oh, we'll get the video game money next quarter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're not. So they didn't release it to the PS4. They didn't release it for the Xbox One, which granted because of the timing of when the game was released and when the systems were released, that really wasn't going to be feasible at the time. But at the same time, it also means that it might not be that hot of a commodity, then, right, because you're releasing on, on last-gen systems. Additionally, they had the whole THQ to take two um, malarkey, let's just call it. And so because of that, uh, there was impairment charges and, and refunds and all sorts of things. But they ended up being $10 million down last quarter. And, you know, I don't know if they have a really good plan on how they're going to get that money back. And as it's been said, the checks going out to the talent have not been uh, blockbuster numbers, and in fact have been much, much lower than they were in the past. And they said, oh, the royalty rates in the future. Well, I don't know if we're going to see royalty rates in the future that actually hit that. So it's a big question mark to me. And then, um, like I said, the stock rose despite the low subscription numbers, mostly because they briefed the earnings per share numbers and the approved OBIT estimates for 2014 and 2015. And there's lots and lots of WW Network International rollout news. And so people were surprisingly optimistic about it. You know, if it was me, a lot of question marks. Um, but you know, the analysts seem much happier than I am. So who am I to say? Because I do not hold any stock. I, you know, long time ago, should have bought some, should have sold some, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, should have, would have, could have.
2: The, the WWE network was a big topic of this call. It was what led a lot of the interest into the Q2 results. A lot of people wanting to know what this network number was going to be, the subscriber number. A lot of guesses anywhere from a low end of 690,000 to 750,000, and even some, some who were really going out on a limb and saying that they would go down from their previous number. Um, going into it, were your predictions kind of in line with what they announced? They announced that they have 700,000 subscribers, roughly around that mark. Was that in line with what you were thinking going
3: in? No, it's much. I, I mean, much lower. I I was seven percent off the mark. I said seven forty-seven, and uh, I thought, you know, wow, seven forty-seven. I moved it up to seven forty-eight at one point, and I thought, my goodness, I might be just too, too, too negative here. And and the point I made to other people is, is optimism rises the week before they announce these numbers. People tend to get cloudy in their judgment, and so I had put, done a poll back on June thirtieth because I wanted, you know, people's thoughts that day, mm-hmm. and. You know, a, a lot of people said it was going to be below seven hundred thousand or seven fifty, and I think there's something like eighty percent of them thought it would be below eight hundred thousand. Um, I don't think any of us in our wildest dreams really thought it would only be seven hundred hundred k. I certainly um, did and when, and, and when people told me, you know, it's going to be below six six seven, I was just like, "You're an idiot. You're, you're completely <laughs> off the mark." You right. know, I, I'm 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 going to eat crow here. I mean, I can say I was within five percent, seven percent of the number, but. I wasn't, you know, I think 700K is a very different story than even 725 or 750, Um, and it just blew my mind when I saw that 700 number. In fact, someone texted it to me as I was driving in this morning, and I didn't believe it. I thought they misread part of what, you know, the press release said. I thought maybe that was the average number over the whole quarter, because I just thought, "How, how could it be that low? How could it be that low without the stock falling to the floor? Um, and so, obviously, all these other things they announced kind of helped mitigate that. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it, it just, you know, Dave Meltzer wrote the Observer yesterday, and he published it on a Wednesday, and this was a Thursday. And in the Observer, he said, I've been seeing a lot of people estimating in the 725 to 750 range. I think that's too low. When you take into account the Ultimate Warrior bump and the Undertaker streak being eliminated, and you can watch that on the network, there's no way it could be that low. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I think I have to eat crow, and I think Dave should eat a little bit of crow, too, because uh, that's not what happened. And, and, and it's a two-part thing, right? So it's 700,000. But the fascinating two parts were, mm-hmm. they mentioned that they had 161,000 or something um, new subscribers, yep. but yet it only resulted in a net of 33,000, so that meant 128,000 subscribers found a way to stop being a subscriber during Q2, let's say.
2: And that's what really got me, is I was actually predicting over 800,000. And if we just didn't have so many people finding a way to drop out, it could have been there. I, I was in no way thinking that basically a sixth of all subscribers were going to find a way to cancel with the six-month commitment in place.
3: and And, and that's really where it gets a little questionable. because And, and to, to his credit, one analyst really did try to peg them down by basically saying, look, you, you basically admit 128,000 subscriptions somehow disappeared, but you said they're six month commitments. How did they not pay? Mm-hmm. And, and hemmed and hawed, and, and what really came out of it was basically in admitting that it was a failure to get the funds to them. So either credit card uh, being denied, credit card being canceled, credit card not authorizing the charges, credit card not having the money in the account, or reoccurring subscription fee through PayPal being canceled. Now, Dave turned an interesting number, I think, in the latest Observer, where he said only 5% of people were using PayPal. And again, that's one of those numbers that seems woefully it, low It's impossible. Yeah. Considering the large number of people that internationally we've estimated could be using WWE Network. Um, being you know closer to 20%. And considering there's people like me who's in American who's using PayPal, it seems really surprising to me it would only be at 5%. So that seemed way too low to me. Um, I totally do not think there's this many people gaming the system. But to me, if you have this many people gaming the system, it opens up the floodgates for so many other theories. So all mm-hmm. the people who say international can't be as big as it is. Well, if you have one-sixth of the people figuring out how to cancel it, I think that says a lot about you know, all the other things that one-sixth of the people might figure out how to do. Um, and just like you said, it, it's surprising because also it means people really did do a big buy in for WrestleMania and got out. And yeah. as a result, WWE admitted that they are, quote, reevaluating the payment options. They're re- reevaluating how they authenticate essentially the payment options. Um, but again, this is so much of what the challenge is for when you get involved with uh, taking on that risk yourself. You know, that was one of the reasons why going through a pay channel is so nice is suddenly you don't have to deal with any of that customer service or the credit card transaction fees. And now WWE has had to absorb a lot of that. And you're beginning to see the wages of that here. And it gives me pause about what that renewal number is going to look like because if one-sixth of the people are that adamant about getting out of the WWE network after just a month or two months, what does that say about the people who have the option to legally do it and aren't even afraid of, you know, getting dinged getting, for it mm-hmm. in uh, six months once it's done? So that really surprised me a lot.
2: Another thing they announced in regards to the network that I think a lot of people saw coming uh, at some point was uh, new payment options, uh, that there will be new payment options, including a no commitment option month to month. Uh, they're going to keep doing the nine ninety nine dollars a month for the six month commitment. They'll have the option to pay all up front or do the uh, month-to-month on a credit card and uh, PayPal, I would assume. They're also going to add a $19.99 per month with no commitment. So if you just want it for one month to watch a pay-per-view, you can do that. If you want to subscribe four months later to watch another pay-per-view, you can do that at the $19.99. My question is, are you surprised that they kept the $9.99 a month with a six-month commitment, seeing as how uh, so many people are getting rid of it? Because um, to me, I don't see an incentive for those tech savvy enough um, to uh, to not do that nine ninety nine instead of doing the twenty dollars a month if they even just want one pay per view.
3: Well, I think it's quarter to quarter right now. I think everything is quarter to quarter with the trends, so it doesn't make sense in their mind to raise the base price from nine ninety nine. And you know what? Seeing the, the large churn rate. I don't think they should give people the incentive to get nervous about what they're doing when they're signing up for auto-renewal because okay. then you go to that whole question of, well, I auto-renewed at this price, but you raised the price of service. Who is right? You know, mm-hmm. Like Netflix, for instance, grandfathers people in and says basically, well, you signed up for this one. So even though we're raising the price, you don't have to get pay that until you renew or whatever it is. So there's that element. Number two is they did admit that that 1999 number may change. Mm -hmm. And especially someone asked them, you know, is that going to get higher for WrestleMania? They said, maybe. And absolutely should. People are going to moan and cry and scream about it. But the biggest learning from this all is, is that if one sixth of your people are willing to pay $10 for WrestleMania, they're probably willing to pay, you know, $25 for WrestleMania to see that thing. Um, if you make it an option. So that's going to be big. Uh, number three, they didn't talk about it at all, but they do need to do something about the device control. You know, they mentioned they think people on average use two and a half devices to access the network, which to me sounds like a ludicrously high number. Because even if that's your tablet, your television set, and your computer, you know, <laughs> like, that's really high for an average number. I use and that's five, just by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Are you watching it on your Roku box as you watch something else on your Xbox it, it just blows me away that uh, uh, it was that high. Was I, I tell you, that on,
2: on that point, I'll I'll tell you, I've watched it. Now, obviously, not at the same time, but I've watched it on my iPhone, my iPad, two Macs, an Apple TV, and a Roku. So that's six at various yeah, times. So I'm buffering that number a little bit. I think.
3: Yeah, and so maybe maybe it's not a sign of account sharing or what it is, but that that just kind of struck me as sure. Yep. with with this i'm a little surprised because part of pricing is you don't want to confuse your consumer and sometimes these are just ways to kind of push your consumer towards a certain way of behaving mm-hmm. but uh, i'm really happy they came up with the one month option i was actually advocating to drop the commitment altogether and just raise the price and then you're not, you don't have people complaining really. Well, you do have people complaining. These are wrestling fans after all. But um, you, you, you don't have as much of a, a leg to stand on once you're like, well, look, it's one month commitment for everybody. But uh, so I like that about it. Um, the prepaid option, I think that might be partnered with something where, you know, they might sell cards that are, you know, here's six months. You can buy it in a store mm-hmm. and then you pay it all at once type deals. And they were trying to do that, for instance, for Father's Day. That was the special day of lending where you could essentially buy the subscription all at once. And I think there's a percentage of people that want to just pay once and be done with it. And you know what? I'm a little bit that way, too, where every month when I see the network come out, I have this little twinge of like, am I using it enough? Am I getting enough out of it? But, uh, you know, if I paid for it once and I had it for six months, I want to think twice about it. And so there is kind of that instant gratification type thing where I think people then feel like they're cheating WWE almost to pay up front. And I do think even they should probably even give a discount on that, you know? Um, You know, charge... $58 $58 or $59. And, you know, just like the way Xbox Live saves you a little bit of money by doing that. They, they should be doing that. So it, it's smart on their part. I'm glad they finally are touching on that. And that's what makes me wonder about when I say there's no new head of WWE Network. Maybe, just maybe, there is somebody who's thinking to a lot of the stuff here. And so I'm optimistic on that front.
2: The, uh, yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I, I see my month-to-month come out of things like Hulu and Netflix Um, I see it come out at WWE Network. I'm not at this point not going to renew. I mean, it comes out. I see it. I probably wouldn't myself want to do all up front just because I like having the options. Maybe there's one day where this network just goes crazy and I do want to cancel it. Who knows? I'll have the option. But uh, it's good that there's more options. I definitely see the payment structuring changing over time. Again, this network's been out for six months. They're Yeah, They're still going. It's a new endeavor. Who knows what it's going to be two years from now, but I can almost guarantee it won't be the same as it is now two years from now. Um, And I think most would agree with that, absolutely. Um,
3: We we have, that big August 12th date, and so international rollout, it's going to include the Australia, the Hong Kong, the New Zealand, the Mm -hmm. Singapore, the Mexico, the Spain, the Nordic. On the call, I heard George Barrios say France. Um, It's not in any of the documentation, but did you hear him say France?
2: I heard I heard France come up. I don't know if it was one of the countries that wasn't getting it or one of the countries that is getting it. Um, I'll try to do uh, a little research on that right now. But, uh, well, yeah, I,
3: I heard him sure, mention France. I'm pretty France. sure he listed it as one that was coming up because later when he listed the ones that were not coming up, I wrote those down. And that was Italy, UAE, Germany, Japan, India, China, Thailand, Malaysia.
4: Nope,
2: you're right. He
3: exact- did same quote from the press release. And mm-hmm. so it looked like he was reading that off. But the France one was kind of just off the cuff. And I thought, wow, that's a big announcement there. Yes, he did and mention again, France. Yep. Okay. It gets into this interesting question about, um, you know, localization. And they talked a little bit about it, saying basically it's going to be in English. Mm-hmm. We, will ob- we will observe the kind of ad- the adoption of it, and then we might add more localization in the future. Now, I'll be curious to see you know, if WWE is already doing, for instance, uh, pay-per-views in French because they just signed this deal with AB Group, or if they are already doing them in Spanish since they have Spanish announcers anyhow, um, whether that's going to be more of an option when they're doing this international rollout. That'll be easily accessible for the Spanish and French uh, going forward. But it'll be a really cool cool question there. And uh, they did confirm that they expect to have zero revenue for pay-per-view in 2015. Um, which it's good that they did. Uh, as was pointed out by Dave and others, people were originally not um, – they were expecting to keep a lot more international pay-per-view revenue this year, and that deteriorated at a much faster rate than they ever expected. And so I think it says a lot about you know, the rate of people not willing to buy pay-per-views, be that either they're using the WWE service, they're pirating, or they're just not interested. That international rate of interest in pay-per-views has gone down dramatically since, since the network has launched.
2: I was, I was a little surprised that, uh, I mean, I know you mentioned the UK and you're thinking they might see a system more like Canada and I could definitely see that too. Uh, Germany was one that maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was a little surprised as not getting it with this uh, initial rollout. Um, especially, who's going to tell the 80,000 subscribers in Germany that they can't get the network?
3: You know, I think what's really happening is the UK and Germany just signed B deals uh-huh. that included pay-per-view distribution. Okay. And so what I really think all this is, is tied up in is that they just signed, in Thailand too, just signed a deal about how their pay-per-view distribution was going to go. And so for WWE to immediately cut out the legs on that deal by launching the network there would be would be really detrimental. So I think that's what's really driving that. Um, the German thing is another the only reason Germany really struck me was when they listed what places is WWE ratings the highest. They didn't list Germany. So I believe from both a touring attendance standpoint, because Germany has more arenas to tour in than almost anywhere else in Europe, and also from like an interest standpoint, Germany actually is one of the highest places for WWE to index uh, for international. And then you do have that big question about does it have to be in German, does it have to be in English? Is there? 80,000 German subscribers. Is it really the third largest market outside of the U.S. Uh, when it comes to pay-per-view or when it comes to WWE Network usage? I don't know. You know, those numbers came from came to Dave Meltzer basically through an intermediary, and uh, I think he regrets saying it because so many people kind of just feel so incredulous about it that they don't take him seriously about it, regardless of he's not the one that made up the number. Someone told it to him. Right. Maybe he should have been more distrustful, but, you know, that's neither here nor there.
2: Uh, we got yep, the 170 new countries, of course, the Rogers deal in Canada. Uh, some smaller uh, news have started the network is, too. They're going to be on a few more smart TVs and Blu-ray players. Might actually be the first time they're going to be on smart TVs uh, coming up here in August as well. And then also a resume play feature that's going to be apparently yeah. network-wide and not just based on device, so they're going yeah, to be taking you, on would, that resume play.
3: Because a couple devices, I think, have that feature. Mm-hmm. Um, I know my friend always tells me like PlayStation 4's version of the app is so much better than the Xbox 360's version. And uh, Dix has talked about it, too, I think, through the Apple TV or whatnot. So th- that is good that, um, you know, they're continuing to add things. They they talk a little bit about adding playlists or adding customizable, you know, if you like this, you'll like this content, or making it more socially integrated. We still have yet to see that. And, you know, a little bit of that, I think, is, you know, the fallout of the guy who promised it to us was Perkins Miller. He's not with the company anymore. So I'm not sure if, you know, they really have that overarching structure of someone thinking about all those little details that make a difference to some of the users.
2: The the WWE Network is going to be a big part of this business, and with the announcements today that they're cutting seven percent of staff, and they and they said starting today, whether that's just one person or a group of people today, who knows? Um, basically, their their OIBDA is going to be up thirty million dollars across the board based on subscribers. Basically, they're going to make more money with less subscribers uh, next year. Where all this talk about a break even point was one million subscribers. Looking at their own paperwork, they expect that now to be five hundred thousand subscribers as the break-even point for the network. What do you What do you think about that?
3: Well, it's. It, I should also point out it's a break-even point over the entire year, so they have to average right. five hundred thousand for the entire year. They mm-hmm. can't just you know hit it once for WrestleMania. Um, so, for instance, this year they've only averaged four hundred nine or something, but that's because you do have a couple years being very, or a couple months being very low. Um, it surprises me. Uh, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with you know how you balance books, in terms of what, it, what how much are you having to amortize your kind of startup costs. Uh, what exactly are these marketing um, programs going to look like in the future? Here, I, I'm dubious still because uh, I think they are going to make money on this network. At one point, someone asked, you know, can Rogers Cable basically introduce advertising to the? side of your programming, which to me seems like a weird question because it's like, does HBO have local ads? No, they you know, they make their money because they're a pay channel. But at the same time, WWE has said that they, they want to embrace advertising, they're thinking about advertising, yada, yada, yada. So I, I do think there's some element of possibly making each subscription slightly more profitable in the future here that, that is going on. Um, I just don't honestly see how you can do such a huge international rollout and in all these you know, headaches that come with that, and then be able to operate at a 500K level for subscribers and make money. Um, I do think it proves, though, that if you just monetize the subscriber base you have, you'll do very well. I think the problem right now is that they're basically underpricing their product, while at the same time pretending like they were going to hit this enormous mark of just getting it through volume, and, and that was just not realistic. Uh, again, pointing to factors like the attendance trends on what's going on with their programming. Uh You just don't have people more interested in it than they were, say, 10 years ago. So it seems kind of strange that you're pretending like you're going to get there through there. So it's probably a more realistic ending, but uh, I, I can't ever guess what WWE Studios is going to do every quarter and whether they're going to end up writing off a whole bunch of money or not. So it's so hard and so frustrating sometimes to try to break down when they gave out these 2015 guidance numbers. Because, you know what, two years ago, I'm sure they gave out these numbers, and they're nowhere close to where they actually said they were going to be.
2: So Wall Street right now still still uh, 3% up on WWE stock, so they're seeing stuff and uh, being somewhat uh, happy about it. Overall, with this call, are you positive on the results and the outlook going forward? Are you negative on it, neutral? Is there a lot of different... Uh, a lot of different thoughts. Who knows? Basically, overall, what were you feeling after this call?
3: Um, I, I think the coolest thing they're doing is they're going to continue to murky the water by adding new bases of people to join the WWE network, and so it's going to be hard to judge what exactly is happening because of that. So, what I mean by that is, will they be grilled at the next call about can you split out domestic and international, and will they actually do that? Because I think the trending is really tough to do when suddenly you're running it in a different way than you ran it before, because now you're, you know, you're expanding your base, but you're diminishing kind of the interest of the people that started off. And so uh, I'm, I'm just really excited that they took the step so early so that um, they have a chance of hitting some good numbers this year. And uh, it kind of astounds me that one thing a lot of people forget is that to get, quote-unquote, profitable on this network, it's not just about not losing money. It's about replacing the money that you used to make. And so they used to make $42 million on this stuff, and they're now making negative amounts of money on this stuff. So they have to do better than just break even. They have to grow, and they have to get to the point where they're actually turning a profit um, based on where they were going to be because pay-per-view wasn't dead. It was maybe in decline, but it was definitely not dead. And so WWE to me just needs to, you know, it, it's so many X factors. So at least it's fun to write about.
2: Well, you can, it's definitely not dead. They released the uh, pay-per-view numbers uh, today too. And money in the bank had over a hundred thousand subscribers. Um, I don't know if that was international and domestic. I think it was both. Um, yes. But yeah, I, they're still doing numbers on pay-per-view.
3: Yeah. And I mean, that, that that's, that's a good point. You know, um, pay-per-view and video on demand was $23.9 million. Uh, just in this last quarter, I think. And that's 15.3 million, uh, or 15% of of what they made this quarter. So it's just, you know, there's all these weird little things that people don't always uh, focus in on. So I'm curious to see when I really get more time to sit down with this, um, what other things might be hidden in these announcements here. But I think just this enormous global rollout really surprised me. And uh, that's good news for WWE that, you know, they're really, in my mind, trying to make SummerSlam a success. Yeah. And from that, then be able to justify a lot of the future spending.
2: I wonder if they're rushing too much using SummerSlam as kind of their WrestleMania in the first period of buys. Is You know, we got this big event. What else is going to be as good of a hook to kind of get initial buys than SummerSlam? So let's rush this thing out.
3: Um, and and that, was, that came up on the call where where someone very, very elegantly asked, what do you do during those not so hot months? How are you supposed to get people? And they basically gave a marketing answer that said, you know, we have to engage them creatively and we have <laughs> to give them attractions that excite the fans and yada yada. So not really answering the question, but that remains kind of the big um, you know, curiosity is that when, when I did a poll on the observer board, 70% said they were going to renew, and, like, 18% said, I'll come back in January.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And I think that's really telling that it's like, well, you have a large, you know, maybe up to a fifth or a sixth of your base that might just choose to sit out a couple months a year. So will this new a la carte methodology and pricing work for them so that they're more interested in buying it, you know, when you sell them Royal Rumble and and a, a WrestleMania, and I am happy that you know they're kind of putting that option out there, and I really do hope they jack the price up for WrestleMania because the the millions and millions they lost on that deal this year, um, were hopefully just a one-time thing.
4: The
2: uh, it's to me seemingly impossible to try and predict what subscriber number they are going to give on the quarter three call. Uh, because you're going to have this new influx, hopefully, of subscribers from international markets. Who knows what we're going to see with the six-month renewals from initial purchasers in the U.S. are going to do. Um, I, maybe it's not that difficult, and I'm just overthinking, but I think it's nearly impossible to try and predict the next call's numbers.
3: Well, it, it, it feels that way on the surface, but you know we have a lot of factors we can look into. Number one, um, if you go back to their original presentation in January, they list countries, and then they list them out by both affinity for WWE products, mm-hmm. but they also list it out for kind of the um, uh, ability to get broadband and uh, things of that nature. So I think there's some factors there that we can really boil about. Number two, keep in mind that phase one international distribution was targeted at 250,000 as their kind of low-end number, while the U.S. was targeted at millions, so almost a one-to-four ratio. So I think there's some element of that you can kind of use as projections forward. I looked at some population numbers of, of a lot of these countries, and one thing that really struck me is that even when you added up at least the original phase one countries, all of their population, it was nowhere close to even what the U.S. alone had. So, at best, you're talking doubling. You know, to me, you're, you're talking a one-to-four or one-to-three ratio in terms of what you can get from the U.S. to them. So, I, I think there's some numbers we can get a good feel on, um, whether or not, you know, the Canadian deal murkies the water. Maybe, maybe not. But again. Canadian was only ever between five and eight percent of you of total North American pay per view. So not that huge of the number, things like that. So uh, we we have ideas because we know how many people in general buy pay-per-views, right? Mm-hmm. And then we have an idea of how many North American people have chosen to to convert from one to the other. And then we basically just have to come up with an assumption that says are they more likely or less likely to get involved. I've argued the nostalgia factor is much lower for international countries because they didn't live through the eighties boom. And it's it's kind of like, I don't think they're going to go out of their way to see it. And so what you're left with is basically today's product. Are they interested in today's product? And so um, I, I think we'll have an idea. I, I'm i hesitant at this exact moment to throw some numbers out there because I do have to then factor in the whole life how many people canceled and all that other stuff. So uh, I, I, I haven't given enough thought here, but maybe 880 going to just be a number coming off my tongue here and uh we'll see where that goes i'll go with that too
2: just because i have no <laughs> i have no reason to think anything else um one final question for you chris if you are zach Ryder today or tomorrow are you answering your phone
3: oh that's a great question um you know i think zach's okay i think zach zach might live through this one um I think it's it's you know Darren Young might might be a little nervous even though he's injured and out right now, or you know out of sight, out of mind is always what I worry about the most. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would I would say anybody who has not been on TV for a long time, uh, you might you might be in danger. Um, but that's a great great question, we'll and I just fun. haven't got, gone through the roster and looked at it. You know, even even someone like Ben Coulter, you know. It's like, how much longer are they going to keep him on as a manager? Right, hard
2: yeah. to say? That's true. I, you, seemingly too. If uh, the Summer Slam is the end of the Rusev and Swagger story, you know where do you go from there? Um, my usual co-host Jeff actually thought they might re-team Cesaro and Swagger, seeing as how Cesaro has nothing to do anymore.
3: Well, you know, I'm I'm hoping that this this month maybe they're just going to keep facing Cena off at, off. Of t- tougher and tougher opponents until he gets to Brock, mm-hmm. and so maybe that's just going to be versions of Cesaro, Cesaro wearing a mask, Cesaro, you know, <laughs> Mecca Cesaro two thousand, and that sort of thing. So um, there's hope there.
2: Cesaro comes out as Sin Cesaro. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Starts doing flips all over the place. It, it's an interesting time for sure.
3: Well, thank you very much for having me on the show here, Jeff. It's been a fun fun talking to you and helping me organize kind of my thoughts here because. I gotta say, I don't know if they've ever given us this much paperwork um a lot. coming out of it. You know, it was uh the one press release with nineteen pages and mm-hmm. you had a trending schedule, which is another six, you have the KPIs, that is another like ten. You had an eighteen page slides and a lot of it is saying the same things, but they carefully reword things thing to thing to thing. And sometimes if you poke around and search long enough, you'll find a uh, interesting implication. And uh, like I say, a lot of people miss it. But the 10 key was coming out in a day or two. Check it out. There's always a a few things in there that are not mentioned on any of the other uh, releases that uh, you can get some really good financial details that that are kind of overlooked or hidden.
2: And if listeners want to catch kind of the notes or the important parts of that and want to read your stuff, where can they find your stuff?
3: Well, uh, you know, I'll break the news here. I think I'm going to be writing for a couple places coming up here in August. You'll you'll find my work, um, my previous work is all at tinyurl.com slash wrestlenomics or over at whatculture.com. I'm going to be uh, writing for Bleacher Report starting in August, so you'll be able to find a lot of my stuff on the WWE section of the Bleacher Report page. And uh, you can always check me out on Twitter, Mukidana, or see me on my blog at indiewrestling.blogspot.com. Or my statistics site where I just kind of throw lots of data up there is out at Indeed And uh, that's the most places. You can always email me at Chris.Harrington at gmail.com. And uh, uh, every now and then I even host a podcast over at WrestleMonics Radio, which you can find over at BlogTalkRadio.com. Search for Indeed Wrestling, or um, I think we're on Stitcher starting this week as well. So a lot of, lot of little changes going on for me, but uh, hopefully my uh, media presence will live on. And yeah. I won't burn myself out. You're all over the place, Chris. Yeah, all over the and, place and now. For years, I've been that way. Well, this has been fun. Absolutely. My best to, your, to your co-host, Mister Mr. Hawkins, I hope he uh, continues uh, to to uh, co-host with you each week here, and give give the best to your other guest for this upcoming podcast here, the Simpsons extraordinaire fan uh, <laughs> that you'll be having on. So this will be a, a good it's a good time to be part of Shake Them Ropes.
2: It's a good time. Thank you so much, Chris. And uh, we'll be right back with more Shake Them Ropes after this. Shake Them Ropes is available on iTunes, Stitcher, online at shakethemropes.com, downcast and more. For info on how to subscribe to our show on any of your favorite podcasting platforms, visit shakethemropes.com today. All right. And we are back on Shake Them Ropes with Ben Gordon. Ben Gordon, who, is, uh, who I've... Known of and got the pleasure to meet a couple of times uh, on the indie wrestling circuit, mostly ROH. Uh, ben Gordon, formerly of the program with Matt Ben, which, if I may say so, one of the pioneering podcasts in wrestling, at least what I've listened to. Um, really one of the first ones that I started listening to. Even though I didn't get to listen every week, I got to uh, call in occasionally and rant about CM Punk. Ben Gordon, welcome to the show.
0: <laughs> Thank you, man. It's good to get Thanks for having me on.
2: Yeah, so I wanted ask you to come on. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, WWE, Ring of Honor, a couple of different things. Um, I was going to start with something else, but we might as well start with this because it's kind of breaking news. Um, The release of Ricardo Rodriguez from WWE has happened. Uh, Ben Gordon, any thoughts on the release of Ricardo? And do we think this might be the signaling of maybe more releases coming up or is this a one-off?
0: Uh, well, it definitely seems like there's going to be some more because now that they're about to release the new numbers, uh, they don't want to have uh, what happened last time happen. As far as you know, the stock goes down once the you know the bad results come out. So they're going to want to start laying off a lot of people. You know, Ricardo's the, one of the easier ones to let go because, aside from doing commentary, he hasn't really done anything in months. So as a character for what they were paying him, probably wasn't worth it. And so. Um, You know, not really a big surprise to see him go, Um, you know, we'll see who else manages to last. I mean, I think before last week when Zack Ryder actually won a match, it would be pretty much, uh, you know, he's the next in line. But I don't know. I mean, they did really get rid of a lot of talent and outside of some a bunch of like the NXT guys who we probably haven't seen yet. Can't really see them getting rid of a lot of the talent. So we might see a lot of the behind the scenes people. Um, but that's just my opinion. It's really, you know, depends on, you know, where the, the money they want to let go comes from. Uh, so we'll see.
2: If, if we're in for bad news, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday night. Uh, we're going to release it on Thursday. So if, if we're in for bad news tomorrow at the network numbers, do you think they'll just, if there's going to be more releases, get it all out of the way on that Thursday, just get all the bad press out, maybe try to hide any releases if they do.
0: Well, they're gonna to want to do it as much as possible because you know and, and I and apparently this is what happens with Wall Street. I know nothing about how this works, but someone kind of tried to explain it to me. If you announce that you're you're cutting a lot of people and making changes to kind of you know negate the fact that you lost some money, uh, then Wall Street sees that as a good thing and they don't sell off the stock. Mm. So apparently you know that's when they'll do it to coincide with the news. So you know we'll really, you know, we'll find out what happens. You know, when uh, it really depends on what happens when, what the numbers are looking like. Um, Given that they haven't really been, you know, focusing on the network as much since they did that free free week, uh, I'd like to think maybe their their numbers are good. But if they're talking about all these cuts, then they're probably not that great.
5: I'll add to what uh, Ben said. Yeah, Wall Street basically, what when they see you making these types of cuts, they basically. It it's seen as proactive, cutting overhead, streamlining your business for something positive that can then grow from that. Uh and also if, if they're gonna make any firings, it's gonna be on Friday. That's the way corporations always fire you on Friday, because that way you have the weekend to cool off, as they say. And well,
2: the, uh I, one, I, I, <laughs> it's always been that way, at least with WWE. The last round was on a Thursday, though. So okay, we could well, see another Black Thursday. I don't know. Do you think we've seen Last night on main event before the show, uh, Jeff and I were talking about main event on Tuesday, Ben, and you know, there were uh, some good stuff on main event. One thing that we saw was Zack Ryder teaming up with Tyson Kidd losing to Slater Gator. Is that possibly the last time we're ever going to see one of them wrestle in WWE?
0: Um, I think that, you know, I don't know in terms of Ryder. Probably, you know, it's it's certainly a possibility because I mean he's kind of just floating around here and there. Uh, you know, I know they like Heath Slater and the role he's in. Uh, apparently, they see a lot in Titus O'Neil. I don't quite as much. Not that he's bad, but you know he's kind of old in terms of what they usually look for. So for for someone to be a project at his age, it seems kind of a little bit. You know, I don't know whatever. But uh, you know we'll we'll see what happens. Is you know that's what I say with anything because I can I, I never want to make a a steadfast prediction because you never know what's going to happen especially with something like this uh so yeah yeah
2: you yeah, that's true you never know uh, we couldn't zach ryder has got the sweet goatee now though <laughs> changing that appearance up
0: yeah he's it's it's dark side uh dark side rider for, for this point
2: it really is whatever gets you on tv i as far as ricardo goes once uh we had Kalisto getting a new tag team partner and El Local kind of
5: dropped Lord, off. L.O. Cal terrible. <laughs> I know,
2: once he dropped off, though, I mean, you're like, why not put him in a loser job or tag team? But when he was dropped off of NXT, that was a bad sign.
5: Yeah, and plus you don't need a third man in the Spanish announce booth. That's true. You really don't. Um, moving on to
2: better news, there's a big movie star having a big <laughs> premiere tonight. Ben Gordon. Yeah. Are you aware of this?
0: Uh, remind me. Sharknado
2: 2 on Sci-Fi oh. comes out tonight starring none other than Kurt Angle. No, he's not. He is absolutely in Sharknado 2. He uh, is. God. He is Rob, absolutely.
5: Rob's very proud of that joke too. It's not a joke. I'm super excited. <laughs> you got Tara
2: <laughs> Reid coming back. A much bigger cast than before. Kelly Osborne joining the cast.
0: Jesus Christ. I didn't even see the first one and most of it was for a reason. But now if if they're... Building up the second one as much as you say they are. I don't know. I might actually have to.
2: As much as sci-fi can anyway. I mean, Matt Lauer makes a cameo in this movie. How can you not?
5: (laughs) You know, I may want to watch Matt Lauer get eaten by a shark. That might be nice. Probably does.
2: Hope so. Sharknado. I don't Mm -hmm. even know what a Sharknado is. I honestly didn't watch the first one either.
5: It's a tornado that goes over the ocean and sucks up all the sharks and then hits land and sharks start flying out of the tornado. All
2: right, then. Sounds like a sharknado. <laughs> I'd make that movie.
0: This, this is a
2: thing that happens. This is a thing that happened. Um, what I One thing I really want to talk about, I mentioned earlier, the uh, host of the program with Matt and Ben recently ended— the program with Matt and Ben uh, talk a little bit about uh, the time because you were doing that podcast for almost five years. Is that right? Maybe even more
0: it was actually five and a half years. Five we started, and a half years. We started in like uh, February of 2009. Uh, and, and yeah, we really kept up with it for, for a long time, doing it pretty much every single week going forward. You know, if we couldn't do if one of us couldn't do it, the other one would be on. And, you know, we, we always tried to pump out you know, fresh content because Matt Ryan and I are both, you know, in addition to being, you know, wrestling fans and wrestling diehards, we're also broadcasters, you know, Matt and I, uh, you know, at the time uh, Matt Ryan and I were both working in, and you know, in radio stations. Um, I'm not anymore. And he's, he's going on to different things, but you know, a lot with the difference, with a lot of podcasts is that people kind of just go on. They like to talk about what they like to talk about with Matt and I, we, in addition to that, we have our own broadcaster instincts and we also have, a very warped sense of humor. So we tried to bring things a little bit different to the table, and that's, you know, why I think people were really, you know, enjoying us for as long as we were on. Um, but you know, the, every good thing must come to an end. Every good beginning comes from somebody's beginning's end. You know, it and- was
2: it was crazy because you would be listening to the show in a five minute stretch, you would hear talk about WWE, you would hear talk about the business of pro wrestling, and then you would hear about a mid card match on Inner Species Pro Wrestling. <laughs> a whole bunch of different content. Uh, two hours every Tuesday, I guess you kind of got to do that. You got to have a wide variety of things to talk about. And that's certainly one thing uh, you guys did was have that variety. Um, you know, it was fun to call in in my uh, anti CM Punk stance there. Uh, but <laughs> how much fun did you have doing that podcast? What were your biggest takeaways from doing that show? And then also on top of that, you know the show's coming to an end. What kind of things did you learn that might better uh, in broadcasting career or whatever you might be doing after that?
0: Uh, well, what I took away from it is that you never know what you know where something will take you. I mean, when Matt and when Matt and I started the show, we were just two got two dudes who like talking about wrestling and like doing broadcasting. Uh, come to the end of the show. Both of us have had experience doing commentary for several wrestling promotions. Matt Ryan is is a uh, pretty consistently booked uh, pro wrestling manager on the in the New York area. Um, you know, I I like to straddle that line a little bit more, but Matt's going head on into the business and. You know, we've, you know, it, it, we got all these opportunities. It all started with people being fans of our shows and wanting to listen to us. And from there, we got to, you know, become friends with some of the guests we've had on our show. Um, you know, one of those get one of those friends was Kevin Kelly of Ring of Honor. You know, we just decided to have him on one day, and, and he really took a liking to us. He, he became a mentor of Matt Ryan's, and, you know, we play fantasy football with him. He's a, it's a terrible sport. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, other, other guests too from around the world of independent wrestling, uh, and I actually, you know, because of the show, because I had a reason to do interviews and through my radio connections, I was actually able to talk with so many people I've always wanted to talk to. You know, we interviewed, I, I personally got to interview Mick Foley, which was a huge thrill. Um, I interviewed Kurt Angle for the show, uh, Booker T, um, I think obviously the most infamous interview we ever did was Teddy Hart, which no, you I don't say. At, <laughs> I was really excited about that going into it because when you know you're going to be t- have have like x amount of time with Teddy Hart you you know that you don't know what's going to happen.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And it within this within the span of I would say we had him on for about an hour and a half within that span uh Teddy Hart told us that about his breeding of cats uh that he is a freemason that he he trains the cats that he uh that he uh that he does to do that he wants to train animals to do run ins okay uh talking specifically mentioning one. he specifically mentioned that he uh, would train you know a cat to do a moon salt mm-hmm. uh that oh, he would God. have dog dogs running and pulling the referee uh out from under the ring by grabbing the pant leg and and the one that i think that took us most by uh, by surprise that he wanted to train a monkey to throw salt in the referee's eyes uh, so that that was fun. Uh, he reconnected with an old friend on our show. Uh, while on our show, it was a very uh, uh, be a behind the music moment, you know. <laughs> uh, and and we learned a lot about H2 Wrestling. Uh, for those who don't know, this promotion that that was had a lot of hype, but then closed before their first show ever happened. Uh, so I I I was supposed to go to that show, and Teddy Hart was supposed to be a big part of it. So I always want to know more about it. So. Uh, the Teddy Hart interview was was great. As far as what I'm taking away from the show, um, you know, I made a lot of good friends, you know, both in wrestling and out of it, because of what I what we were able to accomplish with that show. Uh, and I that's that's the most important thing to me because you can never have enough friends, and especially the ones who who bond with you over the similar you know likes that you have of of enjoying pro wrestling, of enjoying uh, just wackiness and zaniness, and and having an uncensored. Uh, spot to be able to do what you want to do so um i really enjoyed my time with the program you know it'll it'll never be you know the same as it was you know we're, you know matt and i are both going on to do different things and uh yeah we'll see you know we'll see what happens down the road i know i've been saying that a lot i've been kind of falling back mm-hmm. on that uh but it's true i mean listen you never know what will happen in the future but i think the time kind of came where you know for both of us it was time to just move on so i know i'm you know We'll see what happens in the future as far as podcasting goes. But you never know where uh, where you of us might turn up.
2: I remember being so excited for that H2 wrestling.
0: <laughs> it was amazing because of the fact that Teddy Hart and, and Jack Evans were like the feature. And then you had guys that you knew from wrestling, but they were going to change it up a little mm-hmm. bit. You had Chris Hero going to, be, you know, becoming the leader of, of something called Heronetics. Uh, Alex Shelley was the alienist. And you were like, I remember that one. Yep we were like, what are these things? And when can I learn about them? Uh, I, yeah, and yeah, it, it's, it's
2: absolutely crazy. Cause I mean, 10 years later, I'm sure we're not the only two guys who were anticipating that. I mean, people still talk about H2 wrestling. I hear it every once in a while. Um, I hear it as much as uh, the Revolution Pro Wrestling or whatever that yeah. was. Oh,
5: uh, the Wrestling uh, – Wrestling Re- Revolution Project. Revolution, Revolution, or, Retri- right. or Retribution Project or whatever it was. Yeah, I went to those tapings, and I'm, I'm still – I think I'm under the gag order. I don't think I'm allowed to say anything about them.
0: See, at least you had a show to go to. We didn't even have that right. with H2. Like maybe less than a week before they were supposed to have their show, they were like, all right, It's canceled. You know, I I signed up for a Mike Johnson bus trip to go to Boston for that. (laughs) show, (laughs) And I was very, very sad to get my money back. I would have loved to, you know, like, listen, give them that money. I want to make this show happen. Uh, But sadly, no.
5: Well, as you said, it's important to have friends. And it sounds like uh, if Teddy Hart's spending a lot of time training animals in his basement, that that may drive away some (laughs) of the people that rather like him.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the other great things that, you know, about having so many friends is that you do kind of have the opportunity to do something good. Um, last year, we actually did something really, really cool. We had a telethon um, uh, where we were trying to raise money to buy TNA.
2: <laughs> yes, I was actually going to ask you about that because it sounds like there might be another one coming up.
0: Uh, there is another one coming up. Go so ahead and talk about those, that. Sure. So for those who don't know, uh, around like November of last year, there were rumors coming around that, uh, you know, uh, Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins and Resistance Pro in Chicago uh, was looking, you know, was looking to become an investor in TNA or buy the company. So me and me and some of our, our, our pals were were sitting around thinking, how can what can we do with this? So we decided we were going to have a telethon. Um, you know, back in, 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 on another podcast I had done, we had done a, another fake telethon. We never actually, you know, raised any money. It was just a bit. And I always kept that at the back of my mind. like, how can we turn this into a bit in the future? So we're like, okay, we're actually going to start, you know, go on to one of these crowdfunding sites, try and raise money. And we're going to tell people that we're going to raise this money to make an offer to buy TNA. Uh, and if we don't, for some reason, get raise enough money for the, you know, for them to sell it to us, we'll just donate whatever we get to charity so uh we partnered up with some friends of ours uh who run some streaming sites via twitch.tv um one of the groups is called new legacy inc they're they have a very rabid and popular fan base uh and another group of our friends called it's raining meng do another uh streaming site so uh so we we partnered up with uh with both of those groups we did a uh, an all-night thing, starting off with with our with the with the with an episode of the program, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's IRM and New Legacy did some streaming of their own well into the night. Uh, the next morning, all, when all was said and done, I I had set a goal of a thousand dollars, not even thinking we would come close to that, but it's like okay, my lofty goal is one thousand dollars. We raised over six thousand dollars in one night, wow. and you know, TNA for some reason decided not to accept our offer, so um, we. Donated that money to the American Cancer Society. This year, obviously, people who are listening to the show know that TNA is running into some more troubles. Uh, Impact Wrestling allegedly canceled by Spike TV, uh, and if they can't get another home for their TV show, they're done. There's no way that uh, that Panda Energy is going to want to keep paying for those bills. So, we're going to try again to raise some more money to buy TNA. We didn't, you know. How, how, how you know, lightning can't strike twice, they say, but we're about to prove them wrong because mm-hmm. we're going to raise a bunch of money. So we're partnering up with uh, It's Raining man a new legacy again. And in addition to that, our friends at Interspecies Wrestling wanted to get in on the action. So we are going to, once again, try and raise enough money to buy TNA. I've set a goal of $5,000, a little less than what we did last year. But, you know, I think, you know, hopefully people will see it in their hearts that the best way to give back to pro wrestling – is to give money to some people who want to buy a wrestling company and ruin it even more than it's already been ruined. But I digress. If for some reason they don't accept our offer once again, and really, I mean, they've made so many business decisions, they've got to make one good one at least by selling it to us. Uh, If they don't uh, accept our offer, what we're going to do is we have uh, selected a different charity to donate to this year. Uh, It's called Fighting Back Wrestling with Cancer. It's based out of uh, Ottawa, Ontario. Uh, And basically they've been uh, running for the past four years uh, every summer, they run a charity wrestling show, uh, and they make a donation uh, of all the proceeds from that show go towards uh, the memory of Frank Moran. He uh, wrestled at Species mm-hmm. wrestling as Stinky the Homeless Guy. Uh, he passed away at the age of 23 due to cancer. Uh, and ever since then, you know the the wrestling community up there has always done a lot to try and raise some you know money in in his honor and in his memory uh, to fund cancer cancer research up in Canada. So I myself have actually shaved my head a couple of times and collected donations to go towards fighting back. And I you know we all decided collectively that this is the best way to go. Again, this is all in case TNA decides to say no to us again. And I, I, I really don't see that happening. I mean, let's be honest.
2: I, I I hope they do just so the money can go to a good cause. But I. I, at the, this position right now with TNA, they very well may accept that offer, or at least sell you the six sided ring.
5: And and if they sold it to you, what would you do with TNA? What would be some of the first moves you would do?
0: Uh, well, you know, we were going to fire Vince Russo, but that already seems to have happened. Beat you to um, it. Actually, That's no, we smart. weren't. We weren't going to fire him yet. We were eventually going to, but not before putting him on a poll. Mm-hmm. He really seems to enjoy those things. So we probably would have had a Vince Russo on a pole match.
2: Jarrett uh, and Dixie, right?
0: Something like that, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you know, we, we, you know, we, really, a lot of the brainstorming has yet to come, but you know, we wanna, you know, we kind of wanna take a lot of the things from the yesteryears of TNA and bring them back. Like, I don't know if you remember Cheeks.
5: <laughs> yeah,
0: che- Cheeks did not get a fair shake in TNA. We wanna bring back Cheeks. Uh, we wanna bring back. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Richard and Rod Johnson and Mortimer Plumtree. Plum We're definitely going to bring back Mortimer Plumtree. Okay. Uh, so, what, you know, can we, you give my? Have,
2: can you give my friend Moose Knuckles another shot?
0: <laughs> uh, I think Moose Knuckles would, would definitely receive another. You know, a, a, at the very least, a try it. I mean, listen, there's a lot of cooks that are going to be in this broth, so okay. <laughs> it really depends on what everyone wants to do. Mm-hmm. But I can guarantee you, we are going to take TNA and we are going to make it better than before. Or we're going to make it so much worse. Okay. Uh, either way, it'll be it'll be different from what's going on right now. Uh, and again, if they decide not to sell to us, Fighting Back Wrestling with Cancer is going to make a lot of money. So basically, this event is going to happen on August 12th. It's going to start with a podcast uh, on the Card Subject to Change podcast network. We're going to have some of the guests from Fighting Back joining us uh, and telling us what they would want to do with TNA. Um, It's raining. Meng is going to be doing some streaming that night and new legacy might be doing something, but I also know that they were, are going to be doing a 24 hour streamathon that weekend as well. Uh, and again, all that money going to be donating to fighting back. So if you are interested, uh, we do have a Facebook event page set up. Uh, it's called TNA two, uh, an attempt to purchase TNA or raise money for cancer research. Uh, so just do it. Google, just search on Facebook for TNA, uh, I believe if you look up bit.ly slash TNA 2014, you'll see it there as well. Uh, but if you want to donate, if you if you want to donate even even now, I mean, listen, we're, we're, we're going to make the hard sell on August 12th. But if you want to wait, if you don't want to wait, if you want to give us your money now, the website is crowdrise.com slash TNAID 2014. So that's C-R-O-W-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash TNAID 2014. The full story is up there. What we did last year, what we're planning to do this year. You can donate early. Donate to the Card Subject to uh, Change Network page. Our friends at New Legacy, and it's raining Mang, and it's an interspecies wrestling. We obviously want to be the ones to beat them. So we are going to try and do this. And again, we can't do it without your support and, of course, your money. So your money will go to buy TNA, go to cancer research.
2: Absolutely. So that's TNA'd. 2014, catch it. Uh, what were your initial thoughts, Ben, when you heard that TNA might be closing due to the news that they have lost their, uh, possibly lost their Spike TV partnership?
0: Uh, well, basically, I I don't want to see any any wrestlers lose their jobs, but at the same time, TNA has been such a a pool of embarrassment over the last decade or so that it's 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 hard to not want to see something different come out of it so um you know I, I don't want to see the wrestlers lose their jobs certainly not and and all the people who work hard but then you know if they're if they would let someone else find a way into that have carved out for themselves uh on a major tv network let them do it the right way you know because you know they 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 certainly have had so many chances to do so over the years and and they failed it's been an absolute failure
2: if if you're wwe and TNA actually does close, and we know they haven't been very, uh, very willing to take on a lot of TNA names, but you wanted to get two guys from TNA that you think would be good fits for your roster. Who in TNA would you want to see go, and who in TNA do you think they might be interested in? So this could be four different names, possibly, but who do you sure. want to go, and who do you think
0: would go? Uh, well, the first name I want to go with Samoa Joe, but I I'm very very much biased. I was uh, I was a big follower of Ring of Honor during his heyday as world champion. I went to a lot of shows where he was defending the title, uh, and and I'm a huge fan of his. So that's that's particularly selfish of mine. I do think he'd do really well over there, especially now when when the focus is so much on more on wrestling. But you know they they've had a chance to hire him in the past and they haven't. So I don't know that they would. Um, it would be cool though. I don't, but I don't know. Uh, one name I think they would absolutely go for, no matter what they say, is Bobby Roode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could easily see them putting him in NXT for a while, even though he's, he's way above that. Uh, but you know, a lot of people who are way above that are, are getting sent to NXT anyway. So um, you know, Bobby Roode's a guy who, who fits that mold very, very well. I could easily see them going for him. Um, I could see Jeff Hardy going back, you know, even, maybe not right away. But he's definitely a guy who they want, and, and they, you know if since they've been able to cater to a guy like Brock Lesnar and give him a special schedule, I know they'd certainly do that for Jeff Hardy and for Kurt Angle. Um, so those are two guys who I definitely see going back as well. Uh, outside of like the homegrown guys though, like Joe, um, I don't really know who else. Honestly, I think uh, you know I think you know they'll they'll cherry pick who they want to stick around. Uh, and everyone else is going to go bye bye. I'm sure a lot of the people who have been there before, like maybe Anderson, might get another shot, um, but not not really a lot of them. I think you're going to see a lot of names hit uh, hitting the NDC and looking for work.
2: I I would agree with that. I would hope that they would give one more shot to Ethan Carter because he's proven that he can he can be on TV. I don't know if he's ever going to be a top guy, but he's certainly got the look that they like. I, I would give him another shot, Ethan Carter. I, but
0: I I would love to. I just I feel like he'd get lost in the shuffle at this point. I really do. Um, because they had a chance to do something with him and they didn't. Um, you know that being said, you know I I you know I can't believe I forgot about Bubba Ray and Devon. Uh, you know I could definitely see Bubba Ray, if nothing else, becoming a a producer for them. Yeah. Uh, if not, if not, you know, get a singles run. Um, because I don't, I you know, I don't think Devon is really at the point where he's going to handle a full schedule anymore. I mean, he just came back to do some TNA dates, but. It's it's more or less just to you know fill the gap to bound for glory when they go in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, Bully Ray obviously is capable of of teaching so many great lessons, uh, and I think you'd be a huge asset if you went back.
2: Jeff, what's your what's the one name? Because we haven't gotten the chance to talk about this. Are you, are you thinking that Bobby Roode, uh, like me, is that one guy who's never been there that really should? Or do you have a different name?
5: Uh, I I think Roode's the obvious name. I think I think. You know, I think there's a couple of people that could always cherry pick for short runs. I don't think there's any any person with any particular longevity. Uh, I could see them even taking Abyss for, like, a Kane program. Uh, I could see them getting Eric Young. I always, You know, for, for all the crap he takes for being pushed into that main event slot, and there, there's not been a mid-card comedy guy who's had as much longevity as Eric Young. And he's been able to be a chameleon. He's really good, you know. Part of me, I love Samoa Joe, James Storm. I could always see. I could see Gunner getting repackaged and shaved or something, and and put in there. I wouldn't mind seeing Gail Kim get a match with Paige. That would be kind of cool, I think. But uh, you know, not not a lot of guys. And then Rude's, you know, Rude's on the uh, higher end of the age scale. So if they're putting him in NXT, he may end up, you know staying there for a few years and then them deciding, well, he's in his mid 30s, we can't use him anymore. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to see Aries get a shot there too, but I mean, all these guys are small, more in-ring, you know, kind of guys that can go and I don't think they're going to look at that.
2: Yeah, they're you could have at this point an over 35 division in NXT. That would be pretty stacked. Guys like yeah. Kenta and uh and some of the Connor for all we know. Um, I, I wanted to ask you before you let you go, Ben, uh, cause we, you talked about how you would uh, basically been watching the indie scene, especially local. Cause you're in the Northeast and you're still there, right, Ben? Yep. Yep. So you gotten to see a lot of independent wrestling, especially during the heyday of ring of honor, you know, 2003 ish to 2007 or so. Um, that, and That's where uh, we kind of first crossed paths a little bit was the old ring of honor message board. <laughs> I-, I wanted to ask you about any memories from the ring of honor message board even though no one's going to know what we're talking about
0: uh yeah let's go super inside baseball with this i don't know right. if you remember bar four uh oh the- yeah the-, the bar four soccer
2: <laughs> i absolutely remember
0: um i still don't know what's happened to him i hope he's okay uh i hope prince nana didn't do him any wrong uh, <laughs> uh i do remember uh you know, the the one time that uh, Gabe Sapolsky gave us a chance to name a tag team. Mm-hmm. And and the best anyone could do was Air Devils. He trolled us so hard on that.
2: <laughs> okay, we're going to let you name this tag team only to, the, to break them up after their first match.
0: He, he broke them up because their name was so bad. Right. <laughs> That's the name that everyone wanted to decide on. And uh, what are you going to do? Um,
2: Fast Eddie and Matt Seidel. And that show happened in Dayton, I believe, because I was there. So they... I can't remember did they win that match? I don't know. Um, I don't
0: remember. I don't th- I, I do remember that uh I think Fast Eddie wound up turning on yep. uh on Matt Sidell.
2: Yeah, right after their match whether it was a win or a loss. I think they won. They turned and I just remember thinking like how could you do this? Yeah. After the first night. Uh go go on your your memories of the, <laughs> the ROH <boy.
4: laughs>
0: Uh just just the constant uh threads of so, a, when are you going to bring in Chris Hero? When are you going to bring in Super Dragon? Chuck when you Taylor, bring in B-boy? Chuck Taylor, yeah. exactly. Uh, and it turned out all of them at least had one match in Ring of Honor. So go message board. Yeah. Uh, I, I i remember finally meeting up with everybody at like my first show uh, mm-hmm. through the uh, uh, the Greg H group, uh, deciding you know let's let's all meet ahead of time. Uh, and that's where I met a lot of people who I still keep in touch with today. Um, you know, and we, you know, would meet together. You know, before a lot of shows. I know, I know. Greg still has his group that goes to shows, and I say hi to him every time I see him. Uh, he's he's a really great dude. Uh, it's it, I just remember, you know, a, a really nice community of fans that all got together uh, and and had a great time getting, you know, really bonding behind the product, really getting behind it. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I do miss that community. I know some people have, uh, have started up their own little communities here and there, uh, but it'll never be the same. It, it really won't. Um, and, and I, despite what anyone says, I never missed, I never you know cared about having avatars or not.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was, it was definitely an interesting group. I remember there would be people that would just wait up all hours of the night for a Gabe Sapolsky newswire. And then when they wouldn't get it, they would post the next day about how upset they were that there was no newswire. And like blaming Gabe, like you kept me up until 4 a.m. and didn't post a newswire. What's going on? Uh,
0: I, I, I also remember in the days before you know anyone was able to post to the message board from a show, someone would always be on standby waiting for a phone call from someone to find out, OK, wh- what are the results from this show? Yep. And, and you know anxiously waiting by the message board and constantly hitting refresh, waiting for those results to come up.
2: Oh, absolutely. Because that's all that there would be for results. If you wanted to be in uh, side of a ring of honor show and you weren't there, you had to wait on that message board because no one else was getting the information. And there were
0: exactly, there exactly. Were quite a few.
2: Yeah, it was, a, it was definitely a fun community. I'm surprised they don't have a forum like that, honestly, anymore, just because you would think it would keep people on your website, keep people enthused about the product. Um,
0: well, well, you're not wrong about that. It's also for for a lot of people. It's it's a lot more work than it is to you know necessary, especially now that Ring of Honor is so much bigger. Right. Um, it would just be a lot harder to control, and and they're not going to pay anyone extra to to do it. So, uh, you know, it's 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 a shame, but I mean, it'll never be as fun as it was. Plus, who uses message boards anymore anyway? <laughs>
5: Uh, well, now, me, did, now, I, I got did. a question did, did, for, for both of you, maybe. Did did Gabe embrace the community for the uh, message board, like even outside of the message board, you know, in terms of using it for marketing and, you know, hey, guys, I'll give you a little access here or there and then, you know, go tell your friends, et cetera? Yeah,
0: to an extent he did. Um, okay. You know, he... Uh, like he would definitely like try and use the message board to kind of try and get an idea of uh, of what people were really into. I mean, now you kind of have Twitter for that, so uh, it's not quite as necessary. But uh, you know, he he definitely did try to you know, and sometimes on commentary there would be a, an occasional in joke that the that the message board would get. So he definitely you know, to a certain extent at least, did him you know try to embrace it.
5: Okay, because the reason I asked was it's it sounds almost exactly like I, I was on Rec Sport Pro Wrestling in the early to mid '90s through the late '90s through actually the turn of the century. I was on there for a long time, but that's almost the same thing that uh, Heyman kind of did with ECW and and, and the kind of the smarky community there, uh, so to speak, uh, in terms of in terms of getting the word out about uh, ECW and getting growth uh, through the internet that way. So.
0: Yeah, I, you know, he definitely did try to, you know, encourage that as much as possible. You know, every time we would try and, you know, tell friends, you know, for Ring of Honor in the in the early days was very much a word of mouth kind of thing. And, okay. you know, there, there was not a not a Twitter or Facebook to really spread that word of mouth. So you had to show friends some DVDs or, or show them some, you know, if they posted some clips for you to download, since there was no YouTube back in those days, you kind of had to do it that way. Uh, but there was always something to do, always a way to try and get people into it. Um and yeah, you know, it just really it was it was a really it really felt like you were part of something special. You know, nowadays it's you know, the letters are still there, but the the feel is not there. And and that's okay. You know, it's still a good wrestling product, still fun to watch, but it doesn't feel like you know, I don't feel that same sense of belonging to something like right. I you know, like you did back in the day.
2: And I think one note of that too is back in the day there would be folks on that message board because you had a community that you would go see people in other cities. I, I remember traveling from Northeast Indiana to Philadelphia for Ring of Honor shows and mm-hmm. you know, going to Dayton in different areas, and you would see East Coast fans coming out to the Midwest. I don't know if that's still happening in larger numbers like it was back then because you had these people on a message board that you could say hi to, and now you would just be traveling this long distance, most likely to see a wrestling show, and you could probably just wait to, for the wrestling promotion to come in your own area.
0: Yeah, yeah, think, oh, oh, that's, yeah and, and that's definitely something – like you would have people – a group of people from England coming over for some of the big Ring of Honor shows. Yeah. I don't even know if they still do it if it's not WrestleMania weekend, but like Final Battle was always a big, big deal – Uh, from like 2006 on, and there would always be a big contingent of European fans coming over for that. Um, and, and I got to know some really cool dudes from, uh, from across the pond from that. And it's like, where, you know, how would this be happening? How would I have a friend in England if not, you know, because of our shared, uh, love of ring of honor.
5: And I think PWG is kind of getting to that point as well. I think it's
0: different because of the fact that, you know, I, it's a lot different because it's the same venue. It's the same people every single time. You know, with yeah. of Honor, it wasn't the same exact people because of the fact that, uh, you know, y- you're they're touring all the time. You know, they're going to different places. Maybe not. You know, obviously, they're going to more places now. Uh, sure. But, you know, with with PWG, it's something different. And and it is something I would like to experience. It's still on my wrestling bucket list for sure.
2: Same here. I, I told Jeff that I might be coming because Jeff is from Los Angeles, so he's right there. Okay, I, I was telling him that maybe Bola this year might be a possibility, but then I saw Matt Seidel's first match and I was just sickened.
5: <laughs> <laughs> uh, he hates who he hates.
2: I hate who I hate. What are you gonna do? Um, uh. <laughs> I would. Uh, I would also like to ask you. I, I, you know, you're you're ending. Uh, you ended the program. You got a lot going on. Do you have time to go to a lot of pro wrestling indie shows anymore? Or are there? Are there groups out there that excite you right now, as far as independent wrestling, or maybe are you just a big WWE fan still?
0: Uh, I I still like everything, you know. I'm I've I've never really backed away from from the fact that I'm a wrestling fan, and you know, people at my office know it, people everywhere know it. Um, obviously, I don't have the time and money to spend like I used to when I would go to you know every Ring of Honor show on the East Coast, you know, from Philadelphia up to you know Connecticut, um, you know, anywhere past that, maybe I wouldn't be able to try and go to. Um, you know, honestly, the promotions that excite me are the, are the ones that I kind of, you know, have some sort of involvement with. Um, I, I work very, you know, I'm, I, I try and be a little bit hands on with interspecies wrestling. Um, you know, maybe not as hands on as, uh, as some other places, but, you know, I'm definitely they, they have welcomed me into the family. I do do commentary for them. Um, and And I really, really love those shows because I found that you can bring someone who's not a fan of wrestling to those shows and they'll still have a good time. Um, you know, if you've never been inter species wrestling, they it, it's it, think of chikara, and then add some cocaine to it, and you and uh, throw it and inside th- of an X rated theater, and you've got you've got species wrestling. Um,
2: Sounds like the party of the summer to me.
0: It, it is it is a party. That's a really great way to describe it. It's a really fun atmosphere because, in addition to having dudes who can wrestle, you also don't know what else is going to come out there. I mean, the champion of W right now is a zombie. Mm-hmm. Uh his name is Izzy is Dead Yet. He's the uh brain chopping <laughs> murder machine. Uh you've also got guys uh like Kitsune, uh the mythical uh fox from the Orient, one of the best talents that people uh, are starting to know about. You've got the tag team champions who the the food fighters. Okay. Uh you have Pasquale, the Italian chef, and his tag team partner Bastard Snow, uh who's a crab man. Uh so <laughs> there's also characters like El Hijo del Bamboo, the wrestling panda. Um, and it, you, you just don't know what you're going to see at ISW. Um, like the next show that's coming up is in an October till October. Uh, but they, uh, they just recently competed, uh, at the warp tour in, uh, in both Montreal and Hartford. So oh, they, wow. uh, they did it. They did some matches in between some shows, uh, from everything that I heard, everything was fantastic. Uh, the, the people there were really, really into it. Um, and, and. They actually have some uh, tour diaries up on uh, on their YouTube. It's uh, YouTube.com/slash interspecies. Check it out. Uh, there's some you know really great clips of some action. Um, you know a lot of guys who you might know from the indie scene. Chris Dickinson is a big part of it. He's actually the currently uh, the uh, ISW undisputed king of crazy champion. Uh, he's actually taking that belt on the road. He's going to be defending it in California for Hood Slam. So he's making some waves with that. Um, you know Pinky Sanchez, who you might have heard of. Mm-hmm. He's a big part of ISW. Um, you know, a lot of lot of really really great talent, uh, and just a lot of fun and, and craziness and ridiculousness. So I, I, I love ISW. I can never say enough good things about it. Um, another promotion that uh, that I'm really I'm I'm digging lately is uh, is Beyond Wrestling. I, I don't get a chance to really go to their shows uh, because they, they're running in Rhode Island but everything I'm hearing from the people that are there uh, tell me it's 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 a ton of fun it's really really it's it's a really fun atmosphere it's a really fun feeling uh, you know some compare it to like the PWG of the of the East Coast. Uh, and so, of course, that's another reason for me wanting to go check it out. Uh, but I, you know, I, I know the people who who were behind that. Uh, you know, I've talked to them a couple times. Really, really great stuff. Uh, Beyond wrestling is fun, um, and then a promotion I've been involved with a little bit. Uh, the returning of uh, uh, the IWS up in Montreal. Uh, for those who don't know, IWS was was basically the Montreal equivalent of ECW, just a lot of hardcore wrestling, a lot of really great technical wrestling, too. Uh, it is the uh, pretty much the first place anyone had ever heard of Kevin Steen and El Generico, uh, and you've seen where those two have gone. Uh, and uh, 2.0 got their start there. A lot of really great uh, Canadian talent. So they, for, they they came back a couple of months ago. Back in May, they had their first show in about four or five years. They've got another show coming up later in August. Uh, I hope to be heading up to Montreal uh, to call the action for that show as well. Uh, so definitely look up IW. Us on Facebook as well. Uh, and I, honestly, I love wrestling. I love going to shows. I love being, you know, being in the crowd. And I also love being a part of it as well. Uh, you know, being able to call action for IWS, for ISW uh, has been a thrill. It's been an absolute, you know, I, I love doing it uh, because I, I get to be a fan still, but I get to just talk about what, you know, the great stuff that's happening in front of me. Uh, so, and, and, you know, I love watching Raw every week. Uh, You know, I know a lot of people like to bitch and moan and gripe about this and that, but I always find (laughs) something to enjoy uh, because I, I, you know, there was a point in my life where, yeah, okay, why can't this be better than this? Why can't this be more like this? And I'm like, listen, why am I going to be unhappy as a wrestling fan? I like wrestling. I watch it because I enjoy it. I enjoy it some weeks more than others, but there's always something I like about it. So I'd rather focus more on what I like than what I don't like. Uh, So there's always something good to watch on Raw. Uh, SmackDown, I'm not watching as much as I used to, and and I should get back to that because uh, I, I I've heard some good stuff happening on it lately. Um, I've been trying to get back into Impact a little bit more lately because you know I heard the New York City shows went well, so I'm checking that out a little bit. Um, you know, and soon we may be owning them, so who knows? Maybe we'll get to be able to run the Manhattan Center a little bit more often. Um, you know, that the Manhattan Center is my favorite wrestling venue to be uh to be in. You know, I saw so many Ring of Honor shows there, and and so many big moments happen in the Manhattan Center. I love that room so you know tna yeah it's them but you know they've also had some pretty fun shows in that building in that room so um i i will go to any wrestling show if it's near me uh if and if i'm free and if i have the money for it uh otherwise you know i'll i'll just wait for the next isw show and uh, or iws or what have you and uh and, and see if i can tag along and have some fun there as well
2: absolutely well you can definitely just uh talking to you Um, you can definitely hear the excitement about pro wrestling, but, and I agree, you know, you watch these shows, you want them to do well and you just enjoy the ride.
0: Oh, um, and one more promotion I wanted to to go for it. Uh, it's, it's in Canada as well. I've had a lot of exposure up to the Canadian. sounds like it. Uh, you know, C4, they run out of Ottawa. They, they run in the pretty much the same venue, you know, a lot similar to what a lot of the other promotions are doing these days. Uh, but C4 has a really, really passionate fan base and a lot of them maybe aren't as smart. As, as some of the people that, you know, you might, you know, hear us talking about. Uh, but they're again, really, really passionate fan base. Uh, it's, it's actually the, the promoters of ISW and the promoters of C4 who got together to form Fighting Back. Uh, so I wanted to give C4 a shout out as well because they definitely deserve it. Uh, they have a really, really, really fun product. Uh, and they run in a season format, which I find interesting. They, they'll run shows from, I think the seasons maybe go from September to May. Mm-hmm. And then they take the summers off. Uh, and it's a really interesting way to be able to start a storyline and have a point to wrap up at. Uh, and, I, and I really do enjoy what they, what they put out. And they're definitely one of the unsung heroes of, uh, of independent wrestling because a lot of great talent is coming out of Canada right now. You're starting to see some of it trickle in. Uh, Mike Bailey – Uh, speedball, Mike Bailey, who recently debuted in CZW has been a guy who I've been saying for years is, is one of the the hidden gems of pro wrestling. He is really, really amazingly talented and skilled high flyer and, and people are starting to know his name and I'm really excited for that. Uh, (coughs) excuse me,
2: not to mention Michael Elgin, Michael Elgin. Absolutely.
0: Uh, absolutely. Um, there's, uh, there's two guys called Tabernacle team, uh, who are, can I curse on here? Sure. Uh, it stands for basically loosely in, uh, translated to the fucking team. Uh, and they're, they're basically just two badass brawlers who will throw people around, suplex you all over the place. Uh, French-Canadian to the bone. And, again, they're starting to make their way more on the East Coast as well. Dirty Bucks, Belmar. uh and and these are all guys you can see in ISW, too, uh, between Tabernacle Day team and Bucks Belmar. Just really, really disgusting, really unique. I guarantee you've never seen anyone like Bucks Belmar. Um, and another tag team who I'm really, really happy to see are, are making, you know, making a name for themselves, too. Uh, Dan Barry and Bill Carr, uh, tremendous investigations. Um, they're both both just really, really good at what they do. Uh, and, of course, the... the Coming out to Axel F will will definitely get the crowd really into you, uh, but yeah, as far as C4 goes, they've got a lot of really great homegrown talent as well, um, and a lot of great guys they bring up from the from the East Coast too. Um, so another really pro- uh, great promotion that I really you know genuinely enjoy um, and and want to see nothing but success for. So um, IWS ISW, c 4 uh, Beyond uh, this, there's a lot of great wrestling out there to enjoy right now, and and if you're not if you're not finding it, then you're not looking hard enough.
2: Ben, I'd like to uh, thank you for coming on, especially on such short notice. I think I talked to you, what, two days ago?
0: Oh, yeah, no, my pleasure, man. Thank you.
2: It was awesome. Good to talk to you again, too, because I know it's been a while since. I didn't even know the program was ending. That's how uh, long it's been since I got to call into that (laughs) show. Um, You were a pleasure the couple of times I got to say hi to you briefly, at whether it was Ring of Honor shows or that one IWA Mid-South show in Philadelphia. Oh, Um, God. Yes, I, I yeah, remember it was interesting. <laughs> it, it was a fun time. I, yeah, I, you know, things happen. IWA is <laughs> still around though. So good for them in some form. Uh, but it's pl- a pleasure. Everyone check out TNAD 2014 crowdrise.com slash TNAD 2014. Uh, for more information on that, uh, appreciate you coming on Ben and, uh, good luck in everything that you do in the future.
0: My pleasure, man. And if you want some more, follow, uh, follow me on Twitter. I'll I'll definitely be posting a lot about TNA in a couple of weeks. Uh, or just to shoot the shit, my Twitter is uh, at BigBen213. Uh, that was my old Ring of Honor message board handle. I, I still carry that with me for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, I find it hard to let go of things. Uh, but no, follow me on Twitter. Uh, definitely check out what we've got going on with TNA in a couple of weeks. Uh, I really think that we'll be able to do something special this year, whether it's buying this multimillion-dollar wrestling organization or, or donating a, a few thousand dollars to charity. I think we're, we're going to do something great.
2: Whichever one happens, it's going to be good either way.
0: Exactly. You know, I'm I'm good either way. <laughs>
2: Shake Them Ropes is available on iTunes, Stitcher, online at shakethemropes.com, downcast, and more. For info on how to subscribe to our show on any of your favorite podcasting platforms, visit shakethemropes.com today.
5: In a world of one